Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy-related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe coming at you live from Utah. And today we are talking about men's mental health, which I haven't really covered in the past. And I'm excited for today's guest to share some of his thoughts. Ellie Weinstein, a social worker out in New York. Uh, he has worked in a psych hospital, intense outpatient clinic, and currently works in a community clinic in Queens, New York. Uh, I love what he's doing because Ellie says, I have gone through my own struggles with anxiety, ADHD, infertility, and men's issues, being a new dad, body image issues, relationships, and general self-esteem confidence. He says, my main goal is to help people on their journey to add support, care, empathy, expertise, and insight. What I was really impressed from with Ellie is He's been super supportive of me since day one on Instagram, uh, has always cheered me on and some of the non-traditional ways that I show up as a therapist. And so I'm excited to chat with him. He has a new podcast called The, D the Dude Therapist. Uh, he also offers relationship classes and events and one-on-one -on -one sessions. Uh, check out the show notes to learn some more and enjoy today's episode on men's mental health. Ellie Weinstein, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped for this. I've been looking forward to this for like, since we started connecting, I was like, we got to get this going. <laughs> we do. And uh, I was saying before we hit record, like, I don't know you in real life, but I know you because of Instagram and you have been someone who sticks out in my mind. That's just been really, really supportive and cool to me from day one. Well, when you're posting real stuff and good things, why not? You know, I got to show the love a little bit. <laughs> it's super cool. I think there's so much like the counselor culture is weird. Like not everyone's super supportive of each other. There seems to be like competition, especially like cross licensures. So I'm a clinical mental health counselor. You're a social worker. And I'm always just really relieved to see people crossing the line, supporting each other, regardless of our, you know, training or whatever. I think if we're helping other people and, and focusing on love and care for someone else, I don't think it really matters the numbers and letters after our names. There you go. You know, as long as we are doing the right thing for our clients and our patients or whatever you call them and the people in your life, why not? It's all good. Yeah. I love that. You have the right attitude. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. And today, let's just start breaking down men's mental health. Let's go for it. <laughs> A lot of fun things. <laughs> yeah. So when I think of the challenges that face everyone, everyone's mental health, like there's obviously crossover, there's intersection, and we don't want to be, you know, overly 
gendered here, but I do think there is a space to to look at men's issues, men's mental health specifically, the socialization, everything there. So why don't you just jump in and start talking about your first thoughts around men's mental health? I think if, if I just take just the numbers that I see in, in the clinic that I work at in New York, I would say about maybe two to five percent of my clients are men. And even just therapists, there are a low amount of therapists, men, men therapists. And I think there's this like concept of men being emotional and vulnerable and it being considered weird or different or off whether, and when you look at the, the more female oriented therapy is a female oriented job and uh, because it's more empathetic and more loving and caring, but in the end, it's all about working with humans. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter all that kind of stuff, but there is this stigma of men going for help and reaching out for help and looking as weak and less than compared to, the openness that women have to go get help when they're struggling or support or that kind of mindset of growth that I think men are just not tapped into as much as they, as women are. If you look at even social media and, and, and therapists on social media, you know, you and so many other therapists are, are real. There are a lot of female therapists out on social media pushing and talking about mental health, importance of, of getting help and wellness and, and mind, body, and spirit. And when you look at the men, it's like, the angry therapist and mm-hmm. bodybuilders and all those th- kind of things in the men's world. And it's less about wellness and more about other things that are not focused on that as much. It's interesting, this idea of jobs being gendered and how we're socialized. I've seen this in my psychology classes when I say, what kind of jobs do men do? What kind of jobs do women do to teach the whole socialization of like gender and gender norms. I mean, yeah, therapists always fall under the female category. And you said something like it's more empathic and loving and caring. And I can't help but be really pissed that that is something unique to women based on socialization. That doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense at all. And I think that if you look at the classic manly man and the guy, which I can't stand that concept of what it really means in, in in the end, it doesn't matter gender. It man, matters about having emotions and feelings, which crosses all races, ethnicities, cultures, religions, beliefs. Humans have feelings, and that's something important and beautiful. It doesn't matter where you come from and who you are. Um, but there is this misconception that women have this and men have that, and it kind of is uh, it ruins a lot of things. And I think the world is changing in a great way, little by little. And I think it needs to take bigger steps, honestly, to make that go away as much as it can be. And look at people as humans and not based on that gender um, uh, specific thing that you talked about. I have so many questions I'm scribbling down as we're talking. <laughs> like, why? Okay, first of all, why do you think men are socialized to only feel anger or happiness? I think from a young age, I, I, I didn't grow up this way, but I think men in general in a young age associate feelings to weakness and, and and not powerful. And this idea of power and strength is something that drives a lot of men to do what they do, to be the, the breadwinner or the, um, the ego comes out so much that they can't show that weakness. I, I work with some clients. They say that they've never cried before. And the only time they've cried is once when their mother or father passed away and never cried since. And they would never want to see people cry. And when they start showing emotions, 
they deflect it and push it away and hide from it because for some reason emotions for men is looked as a negative versus if someone else would cry, if a woman would cry, it's, oh, okay, fine. That's normal. But it's it, it's okay. It's normal for everyone to show emotions. But for some reason, there's this misconception of men being weak as showing their emotions or being vulnerable. And when a man does, it's like looking looking at a unicorn and, and this magical, mythical being, when in reality, it's not. Yeah. It, like you're saying, we're humans and we have feelings, but we're shoving this down. What ideas do you have on changing that socialization, changing that culture we've created? I think talking about it more and bring more awareness. And, and even if you see like athletes recently have come out, like Kevin Love on uh, the Cavaliers, Sterling K. Brown, uh, you know, an actor on This Is Us and, and uh, very involved in, in other, other movies and a lot of male figures promoting mental health and talking about their emotions and being vulnerable. Even Lewis Howes, um, who always talks about his emotions and being vulnerable. I think seeing other men who are successful and are still able to show their vulnerability and show their truth and inner self. And I think like Lewis Howes and Justin Baldoni have like been combining on this vulnerability and what it means to be a real man, um, I think really helps start the conversation and let men know that it's okay um, to be themselves and open up just a little bit more um, and be a little more taking the armor off. And it, it gets really heavy sometimes. So to take it off a little bit and just show their heart, I think is something that's becoming more of a conversation. I like this idea of talking more. I always think that's like the first intervention with stigma. And so it seems like with, with males, you're not just dealing with the standard mental health stigma that we all face, but also this like additional layer of suppression. And we don't have permission to take that down unless other Someone men else or, opens the door, right? Yeah. Yeah. We kind of need these game changers who are well-known or have a platform to make it socially acceptable or that you can still be a male and have emotions, or that doesn't mean weakness, right? You said what, you know, there's going to be steps that are going to um, be required to change that. What like mental health insights or like mental health permission would you give to like male clients sitting on your couch struggling with this? Like, what do they need to know from a therapist who's a dude who understands this? What steps can clients take? Well, sometimes it's more about me sitting with them and giving them that space that isn't judgment, that isn't hatred or frustration or pointing out any lack of something and kind of promote them that when they do open up and they do share any kind of emotion, it's, it's given with positivity and, and promotion and love to give them that kind of safe space we always talk about in the therapy office and not jumping on talking about it and, and pushing buttons to go deeper, but to let them kind of be in the moment of that emotion and to embrace it, to help them learn to embrace that moment of having that emotion. So if someone's crying or someone's angry or someone's happy or showing other emotions that are deeper and longer, whatever it can be, to not point it out and dig deeper. Oh, tell me more about it, to tell me more about it, but kind of embrace it mm -hmm. and talk about the idea of how it felt to just get it out off their chest and, and have that opportunity to talk about it. Mm. 
I love that. Just being in that moment of like, hey, you're sharing emotion right now. Like that's kind of a big deal. Great. Like, good job. That's a big deal. And not about where it came from, why it came from in the classic like tell me more kind of therapy mentality of let's delve deeper. Let's go. Let's probe. Let's push. But more just sit in that moment of having the feelings and talking about the feeling itself and the what it felt like to even open up about that feeling. Because sometimes a lot of guys don't even have the opportunity to have the feelings or talk about the feelings. And when they do have the feelings, sometimes it's pushed back with judgment and arguments and frustration or being stifled whenever it's been in their life. So do not stifle them and kind of give them the platform. That validation, that space, I think that's game changing because sometimes you're right. We do just jump at that and try to like make it deeper, but there is profound breakthrough and just being in that moment. How would you tell, I mean, you know, my, my saying feel, deal, heal. A lot of people, regardless of their identity, sexual orientation, their gender, it's like, I don't know how to freaking feel. And so I spend a lot of time trying to like help my clients understand that. Do you think there's maybe a unique approach to help men start embrace feeling or how to like literally do that using their bodies? Any ideas? I think as guys, um, classically, they kind of use their emotions, whether it was with going to work out, playing sports, the classic guy things that would let out the emotions and you never had an opportunity to kind of sit with their emotions and actually address them. It was more deflecting, pushing off, hiding it, not talking about it, putting it down deep, and then never dealing with it. And then it would explode, which is why usually it comes out with anger or an extreme of an emotion that they never cry, but that one time is this explosion of emotion. It's like the classic episode of Friends with Rachel and Bruce Willis. I don't know his actor's name. Um, <laughs> and they're trying to break through, and Monica tells Rachel, like, you got to – you got to get him to feel. And then he cries the rest of the episode. And Rachel, because I don't know how to stop it. Like, this is insane. Like, relax, stop feeling so much. So I think there is this worry of like, if I start opening, it's going to be the floodgates. I'm not going to be able to hold it in. So I think that's really, it's, it's those kind of little things that we've been taught as men in society, in movies, in, in all the things that we see that we're totally taking in day in, day out, that kind of pushes us towards a certain way that we interact with our feelings or even understanding our feelings. Mm. There's so many layers to this, of this misconception that feeling your feelings means you'll feel worse long-term. You can't stop it. It's this runaway train. Do you see that happen? Is that a misconception or how do people stop that from happening? I think people are afraid to even start talking about whether it's anxiety, depression, um, bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever is dealing with someone's dealing with, even self-esteem or marriage issues. They're worried about if I start talking about it, who knows where this is going to lead? Mm-hmm. And and what if I say the wrong thing or, or do the wrong thing? And it's all this fear of just opening up about something that is so human and normal to have feelings, emotions, worries, concerns, everything going on in your head at the same time. But we're so worried. I think a lot of the clients that I work with are so worried about even talking about it. I have a client who hears voices. And he's so worried to tell me just a little bit more because what if I say the wrong thing and he sends me to the hospital? Mm. What if I talk about my anxiety and then they want to put me on medication? What yeah. if I do this and just push the boundary just a little too much? I'm, I'm worried about that. Here's a little bit, but it's not enough for him to know too much. But if I tell him too much, then then who knows what? 
And I think there is a worry that uh, people have to kind of embrace what therapy is truly about and uh, go just a little too far. And it's like that, that game, the balance and the thought blocking that kind of interacts with your, with your head and messes with you actually getting the full force of what therapy is. Gosh, that stigma, dude, like this idea, I cannot be human or I'm going to be locked up. I'm going to have my will taken away from me. You're just going to try to medicate me real quick. You're going to dot, 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 dot. Why do we have those fears? I mean, it's stigma. It's all this like, this is bad. I shouldn't feel this. Something's wrong with me. The shame. Man, I don't know. And I worked in a psych unit for a couple, for like nine months in my internship. And the thing that I took away the most was how human they were. Because, you know, we look at the movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, you know, they do a great job acting it out. But in reality, it's not how most things are um, in a psych unit. And it's more human. People are really struggling and they're at their worst and they don't know how to deal with it. And it's just an extra support. It doesn't mean that you're crazy or insane or lost. It doesn't mean that you can't get the help. I know the clients that I've worked with that have gone through the hospital. It's more that the classic therapy and whatever they're doing within their life is just not enough. And they need just Mm -hmm. a little extra support to get them stable to then go back to their regular scheduled lives. And I think that there is this weakness that's associated with therapy. You don't have to be broken to be in therapy. You don't have to be weird. And I hate the word crazy or insane. You don't have to be something that is placed in movies or extremes to get help from someone who is just objective and wants your best. And I think there is this misconception where you're talking to someone and it's just about, let's say, processing your life or things that you're going through as a human. And people go, wait, no, I can't talk to a therapist. I'm not crazy. It's like, no, no, you don't have to be crazy. You, you can just be human. And they're like, oh, really? And it's this weird concept. And I'm sure you deal with this all the time as a therapist that uh, it's really sad. The stigma is real. It's so real. It still is. Uh, yeah. Constantly. I told a neighbor a few months back, I was like, yeah, me and my partner, Mr. Rowe, like we're going to couples therapy. And it's so funny to see people's faces like. Are you okay? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, oh, wait, you guys go to couples therapy? Is everything okay? I'm like, everything's hella okay. Yeah. I'm like, therapy's super cool. And they're like, well, it's not like I need a divorce. Like, we're not getting a divorce or anything, but I've thought about couples therapy. There's always that kind of disclaimer, this idea (laughs) of you have to be at your wit's end. You have to be actively psychotic. You have to be divorcing. You have to be, quote, unquote, crazy, which what's that even mean, to go to therapy. Um, So I agree with you. Talking more is a really early intervention, even with our neighbors or other people. Yeah. and even the fact that your neighbor had to say, oh, by the way, don't worry, we're not getting divorced, mm-hmm. but we've thought about it. Like the fact that you have to prove to someone that you're okay, but still thinking about therapy is this really sad thing. My wife and I have discussed it, and we're great. We're wonderful. We have a wonderful marriage, but we're also humans in relationship and has struggles with our past and things that we process and how we hear things, how we communicate. And just to have a therapist who's like a referee in the room to kind of help us navigate our communication as a couple – doesn't mean our relationships on the rocks are failing. It just means that yeah. we don't want it to get to that point where it could be really bad. Yeah. And um, I think that's anything, whether it's anxiety, whether it's self-esteem, whether it's parenting. But I think there is this fear of getting to that point where you think that that is like the end. That's a last resort. Jump to therapy. That's all I have. And everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. This last resort, there's like a hierarchy 
that you have to qualify for to get therapy, to take meds, to like have interventions that are like research medically based. Um, and I think that that's part of the stigma is especially, you know, we're talking about men's mental health here. At what point are you worthy of having like emotional intervention or talking about your problems? Like, do you have to have like an extreme rage issue and get like some kind of like criminal charge to qualify for therapy? I almost wonder if there's this, like, that's the only people that, that, that would be okay with if it's like freaking court mandated or something. I know the guys that I work with in the in the clinic, it's either that their wife has pushed them because they've had enough, whether it's they have a, 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 a like say a drinking problem or a drug problem, something where someone has said, this is it, we're done with this, you need extra help. I think one or two guys that I've worked with over the past couple of years have actually come on their own and said, you know what, I haven't been feeling well, I really need help. Even kids, teenagers, it's their mom's calling or their dad's calling and saying, hey, Ellie, my kid needs help. Here's why. It's never the person saying to their parents, I'm really struggling. Something's not right. I need to talk to someone that's not my parents, not my friends, not my girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, partner. And I find that very interesting that it takes someone to like shove them into like a corner to say it's either this or therapy. You mm-hmm. need to choose. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of really, really a hard place to be in. And of course, the start of the therapy process is not going to be so great. Because mm-hmm. they already have a negative association. They're coming in with this intensity of, I don't want to be here, but I have no other option. Yeah. So, hi, my name is so-and-so. And then it's like so awkward and weird from the get-go. It's it's a ultimatum and it's like a a consequence almost for bad behavior. And I think you said the word earlier when we were talking about like relationships and marriage counseling is like failure. And so that's part of the socialization, like as, you know, for as black and white terms as we can be, women are socialized to like be emotional and ruminate and share feelings. Mm -hmm. Men are not. And so it's a failure if you do have to. I think it's just really extreme skewed idea. And when women don't share, people look at them and go, what's wrong with her? When she's not emotional, maybe she's like, she's being so off put, so cold, so terrible. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you go through ups and downs of how you express yourself and how you want to talk to people. And, you know, looking at social media and something that I've noticed is that I think women are more inclined to look for support to get self-help, which is why I think women's uh, pages blow up a lot more, which I think is so wonderful that there are spaces for people to express themselves and be loved and to have that outlet of support and, and, and care. But when you look at like the guy's mentality of social media, it's like working out, dieting, finance, and business and sports. It's never about wellness. It's rare to find a wellness page that's about guys or about fatherhood or about dads or anything. And when there are, it's rare and far between. Yeah. And I, I find that very sad just for society as a whole, because I think it's great to hear voices from all platforms and all people, because we all have something to bring to either specifically mental health and the struggle of what it is to go through that. Yeah. All of us, all humans, different life stages. 100%. But yeah, the the cultural norm of 
you know, men just aren't socialized to be vulnerable or emotional or share that openly or talk about the vulnerabilities of parenting or relationship struggles or crying. I mean, until we have permission from role models, from media, from leaders, until we socialize that way, this is an uphill battle. And I think, you know, I, I, when I started posting about fatherhood, my struggles with anxiety and my history with ADHD and things about parenting, I would get messages from guys. Oh my gosh, I'm going through the same thing. Wow. I didn't know you what guys can have those. And it was just like women even reaching out saying, can you talk to my husband? He's yeah. going through the same thing. It's like so funny to see that all it takes is just someone to talk about it. And even when you talk about things like the, the thing you posted about the medication, upping your medication, being real, like I know I'm a therapist, but I still struggle as a human. Yeah. Like that is an important post to talk about because I think therapists also, myself included, have gone through anxiety. I take medication and that's okay because I don't have my stuff together because I'm human. And that's great. Just because I have a professional license doesn't mean that I have my stuff together. Right. I think when we talk about these things in a raw, real way, it opens people's eyes to reality of what's true and what's myth and what's fact and what's totally not, not real. Man, the stigma just gets layered and layered for all these different things. So bad. <laughs> like, Taking meds. So on, on social media, I posted a big thing that said like, Hey, I doubled my anxiety meds and it got a lot of attention from my following. And then every client that week wanted to talk to me about it and, and talk about their meds, right? Like just permission. But it's so interesting. Like anxiety is not a decision. It's a freaking diagnosis. Yeah. And I, ADHD, depression, like when we have these, these ideas, why are we shaming people for choosing recovery when we're not opting in to these struggles? They're part of our human existence. Why are we shamed for then actually trying to do something about it? It's, it's this double-edged sword. We're trying to like fight suicide rates. We're trying to spread awareness of mental health, but not if you need meds. Like that's the problem. And it's like total shame, total embarrassment looked down upon. It's really, I love what you're saying. It's so true. And, and I always talk about this when it comes to mental health whether with clients or my colleagues or friends of mine or podcasts. If someone had a medical condition, there'd be no shame and no, no worry of going to a doctor and saying, I need medication for my cholesterol, for my heart disease, for my chronic illness, for my GI problems, my headaches, whatever it is, cancer, right? And everyone embraces them. You're so strong. You're so powerful. You're getting help. You're going through chemo. You're doing such amazing things. I'm not downplaying that at all. But at the same time, when it comes to mental health, you didn't choose to have depression or anxiety. You didn't choose to all of a sudden hear voices one day and it ruined your life. You didn't choose to have your emotions swinging back and forth that you can't control them. And for some reason, someone goes to a psychiatrist or a therapist and they tell their friend and there's immediate judgment an immediate pullback of like, you really, are you sure? Oh, and it's like this very weird interaction that happens compared to someone getting help for their physical illnesses. Yeah. Mental health is health. Mental health is as important as physical health is. 100%. Yeah. So there's extra barrier. I mean, gosh, the stigma is, I can't believe it's still here in 2020. Um, one term we haven't said yet that I think is worth exploring is toxic masculinity. And I mean, maybe I'm going to regret bringing this up, but it's like, go for it. There's, you know, there's this, um, 
I don't know. I'm just going to actually ask you to speak to that. Well, first, I'd love to hear what you were going to say, because I love when (laughs) (laughs) But toxic masculinity is really unhealthy, like throwing out and being this powerful, strong male and like, hear me roar and suck it up and, and deal with it and be a man and like this aggressive intensity that literally does not help anyone. It doesn't help your family. It doesn't help you. It hides your true issues. And to be honest, it's kind of really frustrating to watch as another guy who doesn't doesn't do that to sit there and go, are you really doing that? Is that how you're acting? That's really not healthy. That's not productive. You're just making a bad name for guys out there. It's terrible. And when you look at the role models that we have as men, um, it's very hard and very hard to find ones that are very calm and collected and vulnerable and emotional and all you see is the old school mentality of what a man should be and what how a man should act. And I hate the shoulds and I hate them so much because it ruins what a man truly is. And that is just being a person who happens to be a certain gender and has a whole life of experiences and emotions and feelings that makes them who they are. End of story. There's no other special thing about a guy that it is a girl. It's a gender. It's just gender. That's all it is. The feelings in the heart is still there. The body's the same. The mind's the same. The brain's the same. But when you have this example of toxic masculinity and like the, if you look up in the dictionary and you see your role models, then that's going to be your example of how you're going to act. Whether it's your father, your grandfather, your great grandfather, your friends, your brothers, your cousins, or celebrities and actors and actresses, well, really actors now, it kind of ruins your, your view of how you should be acting. You know, when you look and you see that on the TV and you see that in your society, it creates this mentality of what you then are going to be. And it's a cycle. It's a continued cycle of how then men then treat their sons like that and their sons then treat their sons like that. And it's really bad. And it it caused a a lot of struggle and trouble in the world. Yeah. Trauma. I mean, generational trauma that's passed down like this. 100% this standard of masculinity. And then, I mean, now as we are understanding more like gender is completely socially constructed and like sex is a very complicated non-binary issue. And so this is what I was going to say about toxic, toxic masculinity because of that, because I think we're starting to understand outside of this like 1950s black or white gendered, what men do, what women do. We understand like, it's not this binary issue it's socially constructed, all this stuff. I feel like this masculinity has this kickback now. Like you just don't want us to be men. And there's this like protective um, resistance to us trying to call out the toxic nature of this like really prescribed gender roles and like the expectations of masculinity and understanding this is all part of patriarchy. I mean, I'm a feminist. I have to like, this affects men like these standards of masculinity, we're getting this huge kickback of like people doubling down and feeling like it's like a, uh, <laughs> like a threat to their freedom or something like men <laughs> can't men just be men. Anyway, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I hope you're no, following it's what so I'm true. saying. It's so true. And I love that you're bringing it into that. And I was hoping you would say that and bring it from your perspective. Um, Cause it would make it a lot more interesting than just me saying it, but it's true. It's so true that, there is this like defensiveness that when we question something that has been so part of whatever the norm is in society, it explodes 
in our faces as, as being, you're not, you can't let me be me. Like I'm a man, let me be a man. But there, there is, it, it's not so simple and it's not so black and white. There's so much gray in this world and so much in between that we need to start accepting and, and realizing and moving forward because progress is happening. Progress is happening in this world. Look around you. It's happening. It's beautiful. It's great. It's wonderful. But there is this, this worry about holding on to the past so hard and you fight tooth and nail that it ends up pushing everyone else away and then you're left alone. And whatever that means, whatever bubble you put yourself in, you're now alone. And it's a sad place to be. Yeah, that's not helping anyone. That's not helping <laughs> the stigma or the shame or decreasing. I mean, we haven't even talked about like the specifics of like men's mental health. The fact that men have high completion rates of suicide that we see them having lower engagement rates in therapy that yeah. mental health affects humans and we have to talk about the facts that like depression is real it's not a choice and we know men have higher completion rates and that they die by suicide using firearms like we know these trends yeah what are your thoughts on on that that we have this <laughs> this really complicated, like men shouldn't have weakness and men are dying because of mental health concerns. And even if you look at the statistics, I'm glad you brought up that, the, those ideas, the statistics, when it comes to when you study psychology and diagnostics and the ins and outs of mental health, men have more higher num They have higher numbers in the statistics of mental health when they do studies. Hmm. Women, when they have the studies, it comes out stronger with the mental health. So it's shown more, it's more prominent in your face, more aggressive, more intense. So when they come into therapy or they come to the psych unit, or they're getting help from any mental health professional. It's in your face more when it comes to men, it's hidden, but it happens more often, mm. but men still don't go to therapy. Men mm -hmm. still don't do that. They still don't until it's at the end, until they have nothing left in their tank and they're at their last point. Do they end up coming in? And sometimes, and a lot of the times that's too late. And like you said, the completion rates of suicide is a lot higher in men than it is in women because of, I think in that fact that they don't go to therapy or get help from someone or support earlier on when it isn't that extreme percentage and the intensity in their minds and in their bodies and their heart. When women go, they go a lot earlier. They are preventative. They're more protective of themselves and their wellness. And that's a huge issue. And I honestly don't have an answer how to solve the problem because I think it is a uh, like a societal issue that is causing this idea of weakness and and you are not supposed to get help as a man you need to be the rock the strength the power of a relationship in your life in your job it's ego it's this power inside that mm. if I show weakness people will take advantage of me people will then use me step all over me I'll be a, a doormat and that's something that needs to change because the numbers are just scary when mm -hmm. it comes to the completion rates of suicide, when it comes to men and how they do it and the intensity and aggression they do it with. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. We would wrestle with statistics when I would teach abnormal psychology or lifetime development, because it's like, we have all these rates and, you know, percentages are higher for women in X, Y, and Z, but how do we read these understanding that why would men report this? 
Mm-hmm. They're not socialized to talk about this or to know it's a problem. They don't have the like comparison to be like, oh, are my symptoms outside of the norm? Is this distress manageable? So it's it, stats are are hard to actually know because of report rates and yeah. what are men not saying, right? So true. It's a great point, you know, and I think just looking at the people that I've worked with and just looking at the world, you can really see that there is a start of something, a little bit of change of men realizing there's more and more help. Even recently, I'm on a Facebook group for dads and someone posted that they wanted to kill themselves on the Facebook group. And all the guys jumped. We got you. We're here to support you. We're there for you. You got to talk about it. Go get help. It was beautiful to watch. But in the end, we didn't hear from the guy for like two weeks, for like two days, sorry. And no one had his phone number and all these things. But to use that social media platform to reach out, I think is beautiful that he, he did that and did get help eventually. But that was his first option, not going mm-hmm. to talk to someone. It was more about reaching out to the social media Facebook group that was just specifically about dads. It really opened my eyes recently about how we communicate with other men, mm-hmm. even my friends. You know, the talks and the conversations are not as deep as my wife is with her girlfriends. And the idea of expressing yourself, when you do express yourself, it has to be this really serious moment, a really happy moment, a really low moment for you to get help or to reach out other than just a normal conversation with your buddies. Um, it's really sad. It's really, it's really just a weird, weird world that we're in when it comes to the idea of help and the, the worry of getting help and what that means about you. Gosh, that self-expression, even just with people you trust and love, like to be like, hey, I love you or like, I miss you. The the vulnerable expressions of fear and longing and anxiety. Um, it sounds like like a, a bigger risk because of that male masculinity expectation. I do that all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I reach out to my guy friends. Hey, love you, man. Uh, my wife even can copy my texts because she knows exactly how I sign off my texts or like, how I start my text if I'm in the car driving and she's answering a text from her friend. She knows exactly how I do it for certain friends because I have certain friends that accept that. They appreciate that. They listen to that. And I have some friends that that would be weird. It would be awkward for them. And it isn't out of the norm for me to do that to guy friends that I'm friendly with and, and close with. But I think it's so true. It's important to express yourself, even as simple as, hey, I miss you. I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? been thinking about you. Love you, bro. Love you, do Whatever the word you use and whatever – term you throw at the end it doesn't hurt at all it's just a beautiful moment to say i've been thinking about you you mean a lot to me i have gratitude blessings whatever the things you want to talk about but guys don't do that it's very it's very just off the cuff at face value nothing deeper and i think if we started to do that more in our daily life it could be really helpful for a longer term uh, issue yeah just the emotional permission like i'm think there's so much we can't cover in like the complexities of culture and why we are the way we are and why we divide people into these two groups. But it's like just permission for men to feel and express emotion would be revolutionary, like on generations. But then we talk about like systemic, like, like changing systems, challenging racism, challenging fat phobia, like all of this stuff that, that crosses over each other and impacts mental health. It could, it could be a big sigh, I feel, right now. Like, gosh, how do we do any of this? But I love – if we're talking about men's mental health, what's one thing we can do today to move forward? And it's this permission to feel. And each person listening to this, regardless of how you identify, can can make that vulnerable step, right? Yeah, it's really – if there's someone in your life um, 
depending on what gender they are, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, if anyone is having struggle with their feelings, to give them that space that you're not going to jump down their throat, you're not going to judge them or hate them or give them negativity, but to give them a space, an open mind, just to sit there with their feelings, that can do a lot for someone more than we realize, especially for men. And, you know, I get a lot of questions from women asking me about their husbands and their boyfriends, like, how do I deal with that? How do I let my man talk? It's like they have to know that it's okay to talk. Mm. You have to let them know that the space is there for them. When they are ready, they will. Men aren't stupid. Some men are, but but men aren't stupid. And I know like the classic, they hide in their cave, they like turtles, they hide in their shell, but sometimes they come out. And when they do tell you something or they express it in their way, it's about you paying attention to how your man is expressing themselves. It could be through anger and really it's not anger at all. And it's sadness and it's scare, it's fear, it's worry, it's anxiety. Sometimes when your man is aloof and hiding, that also could be something that you need to pick up on or the way that they express themselves and how they're doing it. Just be in tune to what your person is expressing themselves and give them that space to express themselves without judgment, without, without any pushback or, or, or fighting with them. Yeah. What a great space to practice validation. Just to say like, I can see why you're feeling this because this is so hard because you're going through this because the stress at work, like just double down on that validation to be like, yeah, it's okay to feel what you feel. Like it's okay that this is where you're at. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a habit, the more it becomes part of your daily communications or weekly, whatever it is, the more people will feel more comfortable to then come to you and talk to you and be there and express themselves more to their friends, going to a therapist to have that opportunity to appreciate their feelings and feel validated in their feelings and not have to hide it and shut it down, but to open and express it could change someone's perspective on how they interact and behave in the world that they're in. Okay, I got a good question. Go for it. If a male is listening to this or someone whose partner is male and they're like, I love this. I love this permission. I want my partner. I want my friend. I want this, this male in my life to go to therapy. How do I help him? How do I create that bridge for that person? I think nowadays we're in a, even though Corona is really scary and there are a lot of scary things going on right now, I think the access to therapy is so abundant and exploding at the seams, whether it's teletherapy, whether it's licensed therapists opening up more spaces in their schedules. I think there's so many resources right now, but I think it's more about having an honest conversation with the male in your life about what's going on. Talk to them about their feelings. So, you know, I've been noticing recently that you have been struggling with this and I've been seeing that your emotions have been like this and your feelings, you know, I really think you need to talk to someone who's not me because I can't help you as much as I, I would love to. I want to be there for you and help you and I'll support you 100% with what I can, but I'm limited. And to open the door and just see where it takes you because you can't push them. You can't shove them. Anytime you ever push anyone, they're going to be resistant. So it's about having that conversation and leaving it open for them to decide, putting it on the plate, putting it on the table and say, here are the issues I've been noticing. Do it with love and care and no judgment and just acceptance and see where it goes. There's psychology today. There's all these teletherapy talk things, you know, so many therapists out there that specialize in men's issues and any issue really that there shouldn't be a lack of, of help out there. Yeah. 
Uh, do you have any books or resources that you're like, oh, this is my go-to if I'm thinking about supporting men's mental health? Recently, well, not recently. I read a book called um, Masks of Masculinity by Lewis Howes. Um, that just kind of brings awareness to some things that men do that they not they might not be even be noticing, whether it's through money, through power, through strength, through sports, through the way they talk to their spouse, loved ones, and family. And it actually gives advice at the end of each chapter for women in men's lives to notice and pick up. So I think the start is to really be aware, self-aware of the things you're actually doing. You don't even notice half the time that you're doing certain things. And I'm a huge fan of Dr. David Burns, you know, feel-good therapy and when panic attacks. Um, and I think just seeing other men talk about their mental health issues, um, I think, is really important, especially from psychologists and therapists' perspective. Um I'm a huge reader, so asking me my favorite books about men is a really hard question. But I, I would say that really Masks of Masculinity by Lewis Howes is really a, like a good starter to open your eyes to issues that men go through. Oh, I love that. Where can people connect with you and find you and do therapy with you, listen to your podcast? Tell us all the stuff. So my website is elevation.org. Uh, my Instagram is elevation underscore therapist. And I just launched a new podcast called the dude therapist talking about therapy and mental health from a male's perspective for anyone who wants to listen. Uh, doesn't matter your sexual orientation, your culture, your religion, race, um, or gender. It's for everyone and anyone who's just looking to get a little more inspiration and motivation and, uh, reach out anytime, anytime, anywhere, more than happy to talk to anyone who needs it. And you, yeah, it's it's not like you only work with people who identify as male. You work with individuals. No, I work with everyone. Mm -hmm. I work with couples. I work with singles who are struggling in their relationships. I work with kids, um, and I work with teens. Can do all it. All. You can do it all. <laughs> all over the place. Based in New York City, and so we're across the country over here, just like connecting, making it happen. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just. As we were talking, I had a revelation of the question I need to ask every podcast guest. So this Can't is going to be my new question moving forward. Whatever episode this is, I'm going to ask everyone this question. So I'm putting you on the spot. If you were to get a face tattoo, what would it be or say? Um, great question. Where? Where on my face? You pick. No pressure. Uh, not doing the eyelids. That looks too painful. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like just my forehead or my cheek. Yeah. Um, I would do uh, love. I'm very big proponent of love for everyone and anyone. And I think for yourself to remind yourself when you look in the mirror to love yourself and when other people see it to love themselves, I think is really important. Maybe a little heart. Maybe I'll do a little heart. <laughs> right here on the peak, you know? Ellie, you're the first one I asked that to, and you said a pretty good answer that's hard to beat. I'm excited. I'm excited. What would be yours? I mean, I have like 50. On your face already? Yeah, no, like I would. I have zero on my face, but I would get like 50 on my face if I Just had all over. It. Post all Malone over. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My forehead, feel, deal, heal. Down the side, therapy is cool. On my chin, don't be a butthole to yourself. Like I got all this stuff to say. <laughs> it's all your tagline. Just throw it on your face. <laughs> yeah. <The> walking marketing. <laughs> it's This is a great podcast question. I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Ellie, thanks for the time you took to chat with me and to share your amazing heart and passion for this work. You're rad. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a blast. Awesome.
Thanks for listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast, but remember, this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only. The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.